This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. It's time for A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend, and you're going to love this edition. Why? Because we've got some really big names here. How about Hall of Famer Dennis Eckersley? Love talking to Eck. One of the greatest pitchers to have ever played the game. Then from ESPN, he's one of the top names in our game. The great Buster Olney is going to be by. And then we're going to talk a little pitching with the pitching coach of your Oakland Athletics, Scott Emerson. Well, first we're going to start with a man who grew up in the Bay Area. He was actually born in Oakland, California. 197 wins, 390 saves, a World Series champion in 1989, a AL MVP in 1992, a Cy Young in 1992, a six-time All-Star, two-time AL Rolaids Relief Man of the Year, two-time MLB save leader, now a broadcaster for the Boston Red Sox. Not only is he in the Baseball Hall of Fame, he's in the A's Hall of Fame. Here is the great Dennis Eckersley. Dennis Eckersley is with us. Eck, how are we today? Good, good, good. <laughs> and I, What's happening? Uh, you know, we're just trying to help Tony out. You know, Tony's a, a great friend of the program, and you know everything that he and his family has done for ARF all these years, and you're going to be a part of the event and a lot of great names, and it's always a big deal, I know, for you to help out your old skipper. Oh, yeah, totally, yes. You know, I've been involved with him for so many years, you know, since the, the inception of the whole thing back, I think it was 1990. So he's gone, he's come a long ways with all that. And then, you know, now implementing, you know, working with the veterans uh, really has taken off. And I think this is the new building that's going up uh, in care of that. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the veterans because we had Tony on Monday and we had Bruce Bochy on Wednesday and we talked about this, you know, the program when our soldiers come back from the Middle East and how they need they need help and they need care. And it's about saving lives at both ends of the leash, as Tony told us, saving the dogs right. and saving the soldiers. I mean, what, what an amazing program. It really was. I mean, it really is. I mean, the, the fact that, uh, you know, the passion that he has for the animals to begin with and, and to be able to give back and help the, the veterans was a, you know, beautiful blend, if you think about it. And uh, Tony, you know, he's come and gone. I mean, he's been at, you know, away from the Bay Area, managed to, you know, Cardinals for so many years, and he's just been so involved, you know, outside of the Bay Area. But this is his baby, uh, you know, back home here in, in Walnut Creek. And what does it mean for you to come back home? And, I mean, obviously you're a Bay Area guy. Yeah, you know, it's weird for me is, you know, 
because I've been doing TV with the Red Sox for so many years now. I still am, but uh, I just had uh, two grandkids, you know, twins, born about 12, 13 months ago. So I'm back in the Bay Area for the winter. So it's, been, it's kind of strange, really, coming back here. Uh, but I love it. You know, it makes me sort of yearn to come back to the Bay Area, which I probably will in a couple of years. Well, maybe get you coming back doing some Ace television. Yeah, it's not out of the question, you know. How great. So, it, it would be great. You and Ray Fossey on TV together? My God, it'd be incredible. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I love Ray. Ray's a good friend of mine, you know. I did some games with him back in, like, when I first retired in 1999. You know, something you don't really forget. Hey, Greg Papa was doing the games, and he had to go do some San Antonio Spurs games, and, and the Fosse moved over to the play-by-play side. So that was an experience where I didn't know what I was doing back then. So uh, a lot better situation right now, you know? Yeah, we were in Cleveland earlier this year, and we were talking about you because they have that promotional video before every Indians game. And, of course, it's your no-hitter there in Cleveland, and Ray Fosse is catching. They play that before every game. Yeah, you know, that's why we'll always be attached, me and Ray. You know, for that game, seems like, well, got over 40 years ago. But Ray and I are really good friends, and God knows he's been doing the games for so, so long. I mean, he's just such a big part of uh, VAs and, and all of this, you know. You know, I think about uh, the Red Sox with you right now and just kind of a, a weird off season. as, you know, you have a, a management change and you bring in Hein Bloom and now you got Mookie Betts who uh, cashed in pretty good today with $27 million, uh, avoiding our arbitration. But still the talk about moving him because he's going to want to test free agency. Uh, you know, Boston's a big market town. Boston spends a lot of money. It's just what do you think is going to happen with Mookie? Well, first of all, I don't think he's going anywhere. I really don't. I, I mean, for me, it's kind of hard because I always, you know, the first time I saw Mookie Betts and he got better and better every year, he's like Willie Mays. You know, as a kid, that was my, the guy I watched. I mean, he really, you compare him to Willie Mays. And how do you get rid of somebody like that, you know, in a big market team like that? Well, it comes down to does he really want to play for the Red Sox? I mean, ultimately. And, you know, and they're going to have to let him play it out. But, you know, it's not that simple to work a deal into, for a rental. Somebody's going to give up players for him and only have him for the end of the year, and then he goes somewhere else. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Problem with the Red Sox, they're trying to reset, you know, their payroll, and everybody and their brother knows it. So it's, it's hard, you know, to try to get, a, get rid of a guy like David Price and have, you know, somebody pick up that salary. You know, you've got to eat a lot of that. So it's just a tough situation. When you're telling everybody that's what you want to do. Meanwhile, if they keep both of those guys, they may not be the best in the East, but, you know, they'll give them a run for their money. Yeah, I, I mean, as you, as you just mentioned, you, you, you compared them to Willie Mays. And, and, you know, when you charge the amount that they charge for tickets in Boston and you know the amount of money that they – I mean, in New England, the amount of money that they make, it's just hard to believe you let this, you know, one of the great talents walk out of the building like this. It's just hard to believe. Right, I know. So what do you do? I mean, ultimately, you can give him all the money in the world, but if he doesn't want to stay, it's his choice. And that's why he's playing out, and I don't blame him. But, you know, it's hard for me to hoot on that organization with the kind of money that they've spent over the last 50 since they've taken over. You know, they've won three world you know, championships, right? Four. <laughs> Hello. And um, they spent a ton of money. They're just trying to uh, – I, I don't know. I mean, 
It's like the Yankees. The Yankees even took a step back a couple of years ago. Even even you know the, even the Dodgers did right. They reloaded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple of years ago with somebody that, you know, the smart guy they got from Tampa Bay too. So maybe that's exactly what the Red Sox are trying to take a page out of. You know, um, you know, go with the youth that knows. You know, can try to manipulate this. You know, situation. It's not it's not an easy game to play nowadays. You know, uh, with with rosters and money and it's. It, you know, and then they got the impending, uh, you know, bargaining agreement coming up too. So there's there's a lot of things up in the air. You know, explain to the audience just how different baseball is in the Northeast, especially with Boston, to where even though the Patriots have won all these Super Bowls and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, still the Red Sox, it's a thing that's 365. It's year round. Just talk about what the passion is like with that fan base. Well, I found out I found out 40 years ago. I mean, I came over there, uh, I got traded in 78. And then I found out all about the Red Sox, you know, and about that whole area. And it's just been wild, especially since the winning that's taken place with the World Championships. I mean, you know, not to, you know, to say take anything away from the fans in the Bay Area, but there's nothing like back east. You know, the Yankees and the Red Sox just there just isn't. I mean, to me, I it's like the Mecca, you know what I mean? And, you know, they've had to compete with the Patriots for a long, long time now. And they've, they've taken, you know, a backseat to them. But still, it's all about the Red Sox. When you live there, it's day-to-day. That's all that matters, you know. It's intense. It really is. And, and I love it. I mean, that's the only way to, you know, to me, I'm so passionate about the game. That's the way I want it. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, for for years, there's been times where like the Red Sox would come in and, you know, they get off to maybe a little bit of a slow start. And, you know, a lot of people here would say, ah, it's early. It's never early. They expect you to win and win all the time. But I think about your teams in, in the late uh, 80s and when you guys won the championship. Eck, you guys were like rock stars. You were like what like the Chicago Bulls were with Michael Jordan. Wherever you guys went, everybody wanted to be a part of the A's. You were like a traveling road. Roadshow. What was that like back in the day? I don't know. When you're living it, you don't realize it as much. You know, I think when you go back and reflect on it, you go, oh, wow, that was that was serious. That was special, you know. But when you're doing it, you can never let it get away from you. You know what I'm saying? You can never get too, um, too uh, confident more than anything else. So we were. I mean, we came to town. Um, and everybody knew we were coming to town, but um, I don't know. I mean, I, I you know I'm proud to have been an A, no doubt about it, because I know how special that was. It's not that simple to do that, you know. We had a we had it going on for about five years, and you know, with a club like with the Hosses that owned the club that lost money, if you think about it, right? They just, I mean, they kept that team together as long as they could, but it's a different game nowadays. Yeah, well, I mean, you got Jose Canseco, you got Ricky Henderson, you got Dennis Eckersley, you got Mark McGuire, who, by the way, Mark is going to be there tomorrow in Concord signing uh, with you. I mean, just the just the, the the personalities that you guys had. Everybody just seemed to have this larger Hindu. Everybody had this larger than life personality. Yeah, it really was. It was not an easy club to to uh, manage. I mean, that's why I think Tony gets kudos for trying to keep that club together. I mean, because there's so many different, I mean, so many egos on that club, you know, and for everybody to come together for the greater good, it's not that easy, 
You know, it's just not. But we had the talent and we had the management. And um, I just know how special that time was because it's just, you know, I played 24 years and we only won. I only won one championship. So I know how precious it is. And believe me, you know, I appreciate that time in my life. Yeah. And and obviously with the earthquake and I know you guys had the you guys had the situation. How much do we celebrate and all that? How nice is it, though, now how the A's have really reached out and celebrated the 1989 team? Because it was an awkward situation back then for you guys after you won. Like, how much could you celebrate? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I don't. When I look back, it didn't matter about the celebrating because if you know, if you were here here at that time, it was awful. You know, those those two weeks, and um, there was just sort of a gloom over the Bay Area. So us winning was, you know, we at least had a, a moment in time to make everybody, you know, um, you know, appreciate it. But uh, you know, looking back, you know, the A's have done a lot for the for the you know alumni and all that sort of thing, and they've you know, kept all those teams in mind, whether back in the 70s, those three years that they won, you know, there, there's a lot of history here. And um, that's why, you know, you know, the talk of getting a new stadium, even at one point talk of leaving here scared me to death. You know what I mean? So hopefully everything works out here. And, and they've got such a good club now coming off two great years. I mean, maybe they can make their mark this year. They just had just such, such tough luck. In, in playoffs, you know, let alone, you know, the one game playoff they've lost twice and game fives that they've lost. I mean, they've got to, you know, luck is on their side, hopefully going forward. You know, let's end on this as, you know, there's so much with, with, with the data that's out there for pitchers now and with all the high-speed cameras and the rap Soto and everything and really huh. being able to define your pitches, how do you think this technology – I mean, you had a great career. You're one of the greatest pitchers of all time. But how do you think you would have utilized all this technology? God, you know, it's beyond me. I, I've, I've been trying to get, you know, sort of get with this whole thing. I, I try to think, you know, what, how would they do me? Would they try to design my breaking balls better? I mean, I'm saying I couldn't – you're not going to change my arm slot, right? So I, I wonder what they would do with me. Maybe they'd tell me, guess what? Your fastball's not playing. <laughs> the spin rate on your fastball's not playing that well, so don't try to go upstairs with it. But I, I guess what? They would make you better. You know, that, that's what it's all about. You know, the more information that you get. So um, I don't know. I, it, it's good and bad, you know, at the same time. Because sometimes too much information you know, locks you up, you know? So, ah, I don't know. It's just, I'm just trying to catch up right now with all this new stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, we all are. Eck, it's always, yeah. it, it, let me tell you, for, for, for all A's fans listening, it's always an honor to have you on the program. We always appreciate it. Enjoy the event tomorrow with your old teammate Mark McGuire and all the great names that are going to be there and, of course, helping your skipper, Tony Larusa. It's going to be a great event tomorrow. Have fun, and we'll talk to you soon. You got it. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. God, he is good. I mean, he is good. I love Eck. I mean, he shoots straight from the hip and uh, always enjoy having him on, having a conversation with Dennis Eckersley. Well, Buster Only, you can see him Sunday Night Baseball. You can read him on ESPN.com. And if you're a baseball fan, you should be listening to his podcast, Baseball Tonight. It is the best in all of baseball. Here is Buster Only.
Well, our next guest here on A's Cast Live, he's the best in all of baseball. He has the number one podcast with baseball tonight. Uh, we listen to it every single day. We steal from it almost every single day. And, of course, what he does for e, uh, Sunday Night Baseball and ESPN.com. The great Buster Olney is with us. Buster, happy holidays, happy new year, and thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for the kind words. I appreciate it. Well, before we get into any baseball, obviously we know about your connection with Vermont, where you always say you wouldn't bet the farm in Vermont. You're going to be doing a special uh, appearance with uh, with our with our minor league system, the Vermont Lake Monsters. There's a special event you're going to be a part of on January 25th. That's exactly right. Uh, on January 25th, it's you know it, it, for, for folks who love baseball, they're going to be. Uh, having a an event in Burlington, uh, you can go to the the Lake Monsters website to see all the details of that. But it's going to be myself and then Galen Carr, who's uh, works in the Dodgers front office, lives in the Burlington area area, and uh, Boot Shambi, play by play man. Uh, I'm friends with him, work with him. Galen's got to be friends with him, so we coaxed him into coming up into Vermont <laughs> in the dead of winter time to talk baseball. And uh, we'll be part of the panel. We did one last year. It was a whole lot of fun. Uh, you know, obviously in Burlington, a lot of baseball fans and a lot of Oakland Athletics fans. You know, before we get into your top ten, because A's fans have been loving it because A's are all over it, uh, you guys at ESPN.com have talked about, and since you're going to be with the Dodgers executive, a lot of people in L.A. are down on the Dodgers. We've actually been joking, calling them the uh, Tampa Bay Dodgers. Uh, Dodger fans are not thrilled about not having a big splash there in L.A. How do you think things are going there for Andrew Friedman? Well, I think they're going better than what they, they look like on the surface because as Andrew has always done since his days with the Tampa Bay Rays, he's looking for the best possible deal. Now, they were in the Garrett Cole ch- chase. Uh, they were in the conversations about Anthony Rendon. They determined early on that Rendon probably wasn't going to be a fit, but they're so well positioned to take advantage of one of these big stars that are out in the trade market. And it wouldn't shock me at all if, you know, they're the team at some point, and I don't know if it's going to be before spring training or during the year where they wind up with, uh, you know, a guy like a Mookie Betts or a Francisco Lindor They've had conversations with the Red Sox and the Indians. I you know, was talking to sources the last couple of days. They say they didn't really gain traction. But at some point, the Red Sox are going to trade Mookie Betts. At some point, the Indians are going to trade Francisco Lindor. So I think that they're, uh, you know, the fact that they haven't had a lot of fire and fireworks early in the offseason, I'd say give them some time. They're the Dodgers, and they always seem to go out and add a lot of good players. Well, we've been loving your top ten list, and obviously there's A's all over it. And at some point here, coming up soon, you're going to release your teams. I got to think you're pretty high on the A's since you got so many A's in your top ten positions. Uh, absolutely, and I and I do feel like, especially since we've seen the Astros sort of sit back and not do a lot this winter, that the gap between the two teams is really closed. And let's face it, you know, the everyone's wondering. When these penalties come down for the whole sign-stealing scandal that the Astros were involved in, and I think they're going to come out next week, everyone wonders, you know, how big of a hit is that going to be for the Astros organization? You know, will Jeff Luno, their general manager, will he be suspended? A.J. Hinch, their manager, you know, will he be suspended? If you told me that someone were kicked out of baseball for a year, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, You know, there could be draft picks, there could be fines. But it does feel like that the Astros are probably and rightly distracted by that. 
But that means that, uh, you know, the Oakland with its, you know, great core of young players, them getting better, the fact that the Astros lost Garrett Cole and they didn't really do a lot to add this winner, I, I think Oakland's got a real chance to win the American League West this coming season. And let's stay on that theme because now the Red Sox are being investigated again for 2018 after they were popped for the Apple Watch scandal in 2017, which then the commissioner said, they've promised me they'll never do it again. What are you hearing about the Red Sox? Yeah, and it was interesting to hear the reaction from players about you know, what was alleged about the Red Sox, that you had players looking at a video monitor and then going into the dugout and then passing on information. That, to the players I talked to, they felt like that's different than the real-time stuff that the Astros were doing, where the Astros supposedly had someone who was watching the catcher as he gave signs, and they gave the audio signal to the hitter, the banging of the trash can. This, according to some players, is probably more commonplace. So, I, I, you know, I don't know if that necessarily is going to be something that will wind up uh, with the Red Sox getting absolutely hammered. The one thing I would say is, you know, Alex Cora, he was part of that 2017 Houston Astros coaching staff. Now he's the manager of the Red Sox. He was there in 2018. You do wonder, um, you know, if he's going to wind up being in the crosshairs of the commissioner because he was involved in those both those situations. You know, getting back to your top ten list, once again, which has been fabulous, with Olsen at first base at five, Chapman number four at third, uh, Loriano fourth and center. I wonder, though, how you felt about Simeon, because just a few years ago he had the wrist issue, he led the league in airs. What was it like for you to look at and go, wow, I'm putting Marcus Simeon number two in all shortstops? Yeah, because I can remember calling up David Forrest uh, when, when Marcus was early in his career and saying, do you guys really think it's going to work out? Because I, like everybody else, you know, would see the box scores every day or watch him play and he'd see the errors. And he told me flat out, he said, you know, we really believe that he's going to get better. Um, and at that time he was telling me how Ron Washington was continued to tell him, look, I, I really believe in this kid. And that was the voice in my head all year this year, because everything that they were telling me back then has, has come to fruition. And when I reached out to evaluators with various teams and asked them, you know, hey, give me your top three shortstops, give me your top five third basemen, that's those sort of questions. When I talked about the shortstops, boy, I, 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 it was impressive to hear all the kudos that Marcus Simeon got for how the type of player that he's become. And look, us in the media, we're all focused on Mookie Betts because he's a former MVP. He's a free agent after next year. I feel like we need to start talking about Marcus's situation, you know, agreed to the, you know, arbitration settlement with, the, with Oakland, but he's going to be on the front burner too in terms of what his future is going to be about because he's become that good of a player. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, and he means so much to the organization because he's a local kid. He grew up here. He went to Cal. His wife was an athlete at Cal, and we've we've had his wife tell us down at the winter meetings in San Diego, they want to be here. They want to raise their kids here. So that's always an interesting situation when you have a player even kind of say, I may even take a hometown deal. That kind of puts the pressure, don't you think, on David Force and Billy Bean if you're talking about building a new ballpark and building a new the, the organization the right way you got to ink a guy like this up I, I would think so now I do think that when and a parallel situation is definitely with the Indians and Lindor where you have a, a team that you know typically has a smaller budget in Cleveland and I think internally they're probably at peace with the idea look 
he's going to get paid big money by somebody, and we're just not going to be able to afford that. So I do think if Marcus is going to stay, it's got to be him driving the, 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 the deal. Because uh, I can't imagine that if he actually got market value, that that's something when you look at the history of the A's and, and what they pay players and where their budget is, I can't imagine him or imagine the team paying him market value based on how great he was last year. You know, we love Josh Donaldson. He'll always be a guy that we remembered as a, as a terrific A, and he's out there right now. And, you know, the rumors of who's still interested, what deals are on the table, are the Nats still in, are the Twins in, does he go back to Atlanta? What are you hearing about Josh Donaldson? I, I, most of the people that I speak with think in the end he's going to wind up back in Atlanta. Uh, you know, that was his team that he rooted for growing up. Uh, you know, Alex Nisopoulos, the general manager of the Braves, of course, was the general manager of the Blue Jays when they made the deal with the Athletics to bring him over there. Um, they have an excellent relationship. Josh had a great year for them last year. Um, from what I understand, there's, there's a sense that he's not in a big rush to make a decision. I think he's you know, willing to let the bidding play out. And he's indicated, his camp has indicated the Braves that before he signs anywhere, he's going to give them a chance to match. You know, considering where the bids are, four years and probably over $100 million, i got to believe that in the end he's going to wind up back in Atlanta. And another third baseman, which I, I, I was shocked when it happened. Now I kind of understand a little bit more with Arenado. You know, when, with the, when a guy has an opt-out clause coming up, you get a little worried, but you sign this deal and this player, you say you're the face of the franchise. He stands up there and he says, I want to be a, a Rocky for the rest of my career. And then one year later, all these rumors, it's 50-50 whether he's going to be traded. What do you make about this mess with Arenado and the Colorado Rockies? Uh, it absolutely is a mess. And we don't know exactly because no one's come out on the record and said exactly what's happening. But let's face it, it's one of two potential situations. One that less than a year after the Rockies gave him that deal, they're looking at it and saying, boy, we don't know if we can afford this. And we just talked about Lador and Simeon and, you know, with a, with a team that doesn't have a huge budget. And maybe that's what's going on with the Rockies. Or it's Arnato who spoke very passionately at the, in September and talked about how he wants to win. He hasn't come out and says he wants out of Colorado. But if that, in fact, is what's driving it, i got to tell you, if I were the Rockies, I'd be a little bit frustrated. Because I'd be like, look, we made a commitment to you, and we want you to give a commitment to us as we move forward, considering the financial investment we just made in you. Now, he controls the situation because he's a full no-trade clause. You mentioned the opt-out clause, and this is the worst possible time for the Rockies to be trying to trade him because Josh Donaldson's available after our, uh, Rendon was available, and uh, you know, Chris Bryan is available in trade, and I had an executive say to me that he thinks the perfect comp for this situation was what happened with Giancarlo Stanton, where in the end the Marlins had to give away an MVP caliber player eating money to move him to the Yankees because Stanton controlled the situation. That's, a, I think, what's going on with Arenado right now, and it is terrible for the Rockies. Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. Uh, before we let you go, as I mean, we're we're right around the corner. As I was telling you before we brought you on, our first broadcast is going to be February twenty second. So baseball is about to start. What's the one thing you're you're looking forward to the most for the twenty twenty season? 
Boy, I think uh, the question for me is, first off, I think the Yankees are the, the most well-rounded team on paper that we've seen in 20 years. And knowing you know, how baseball is, I'm really curious about who emerges to challenge them. You know, will it be the Astros, who obviously have a lot of great players? Will it be Oakland? Uh, will the White Sox take a big step forward after all the moves they've made? Uh, will the Red Sox, you know, pull the plug before the season starts, or will they try to challenge them during the year? I, look, I, the, I, I can't remember a time when there's going to be more of a prohibitive favorite to win the American League than what we're going to see in the Yankees uh, going into this year. And, and the question is going to be, who's going to challenge them? Buster, I got to tell you, we're all jonesing for your podcast, Baseball Tonight. Uh, you, you, you've gone silent here. W- when do we get it back every single day? Every single day it'll come in the middle of February once we get into spring training. You just dropped one the other day. I had a great conversation with A.J. Ellis, the longtime catcher, yeah. about how that position is changing so dramatically uh, with the electronic strike zone coming on board. All of the nuance of the position will become obsolete. I, I think it's a, a, an incredible landscape changer that we haven't really been paying attention to yet. Well, I got to tell you, as I tell you, we take from you all the time. After this interview, we are going to be playing that here on the show and discussing it. Plus, we miss Sarah Langs. We miss Himbo. We want to get the band back together. (laughs) Well, I appreciate it, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be doing that. You are the best, Buster. Keep up the great work. We'll be reading you. We'll be watching you. And, of course, listening to the podcast. Be well. I appreciate it. Good luck with the athletics. Yeah, I really mean it. His podcast, I listen to it every day. I listen to it on the way up to the games, or if it's a road game, I listen to it at my house. It's such great info if you're a baseball fan. It's about an hour long every single day, Monday through Friday during the baseball season. But if you love baseball, you should be listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. Well, we talked about Eno Saris of The Athletic and his article about college baseball and these pitching labs and you know, how now their doctors getting involved at these schools. You know, these universities have hospitals and they have doctors working with these players trying to keep them healthy. It's really fascinating what's going on in some places in college baseball with the technology and the medical going hand in hand. Eno did a great job writing about it. Someone who knows a lot about that is the pitching coach for your Oakland Athletics, Scott Emerson. And we talked to Emo about a lot of different things, throwing programs for his players in the offseason. Here is the pitching coach of your Oakland Athletics. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he is the pitching coach for your Oakland Athletics. The best in the business. Emo, Happy New Year. How are you? Hey, Happy New Year to you guys and all the A's fans. What uh, what we got to be thankful for and what we got to be uh, looking forward to a, a great season this year is going to be awesome. You know, I was just talking with Billy Bean uh, in the offices about how fast this offseason is going. And, it, it, you know, we talked about how when, when you don't think your team's going to be very good, the offseason goes for a long time. But when you have expectations and you think you're going to be good, the offseason goes really, really fast. And I think it's got to be the same for you. Yeah, you know, it's just you, you're looking up on a, on a Sunday, and the next thing you know, it's, a, it's the following Sunday. I mean, it, it is coming <laughs> fast, uh, you know, starting to put together the uh, spring training program for all the pitchers. They're going through their offseason program, keeping in touch with them the best we can. And, 
it's going to be an exciting time, in my opinion. You know, I, I you think back of what baseball was years ago when when players actually had jobs in the off season, the big leaguers, and then they would come to spring training to actually get into shape. Now these guys, obviously, they don't have jobs in the off season. Our our pal Marcus Simeon just got thirteen million today in arbitration. Good for him. So these guys don't need to work in the off season, but they they work out a lot. So how much do you want them to work out, and how much do you actually want them to? Hey, let's slow it down and rest a little bit. It's going to be a long season. Well, I think I think that the, the you know some downtime is good and. And and I'm only talking two weeks, maybe, but I want these guys up and around moving. I know they've been very active in their strength and conditioning and their arm care programs. Uh, we have a 10-week throwing program now. We, we were at eight weeks, and I, I thought, you know, a lot of guys want to get going early. They're excited to do new things. So uh, we started up uh, around December 1st this year, ramping the guys uh, up and get get going they're going to throw eight bullpens on their own before they get to spring training but i want them active you know i, I think uh, there's there's a difference between going out and playing catch and there's a uh, going out and pitching you know the, the pitching is the wear and tear but the, the playing catch part for me is the conditioning aspect yeah because uh you know you, you want guys being ready pretty much ready to go by the time pitchers and catchers report because you guys get right you get right out of the gate throwing bullpens yeah, we'll go. Uh, we'll go bullpen two days off, bullpen two days off BP, and then we'll start lining up guys for games. You know, we we got a split squad game uh, day two of spring, and then I think the following weekend we got another split squad where uh, some of us are going to be going to Las Vegas and playing. So uh, you want the guys ready to go, but you don't want them coming in maxing out their velocities and being too amped and too ready because it is a long season. You know, I think some of the the younger pitchers are the ones you got to keep your eye on in the off season and in early parts of spring training because they want to come in and impress you and and make the club during spring training, come out throwing 97, 98, and, and uh, you get a good impression. But for me, a lot of the impression came during their body of work last season and uh, being able to watch the young guys uh, through our video system and the technology that we have now and. Um, you know, I know what they can do. I, I see what they can do. And spring training, I just want to make sure everybody gets through spring training healthy uh, and, and starts the season ready to go. So there's going to be an extra roster spot, a 26th man going into this season. But we haven't heard the determination of whether it can be a pitcher or not. Let's just say it can be a pitcher. What kind of guy would you like to add to your staff for that 26th slot on the roster? Well, from what I heard, Tommy, uh, you cannot have more than 13 pitchers on your staff. Is that and for then, sure? Then, I believe so. And then when rosters expand in September, you can go up to 28, but you can only have 14 pitchers on your staff. So, uh, you know, we've been carrying 13 pitchers for the last five years on the staff. And, um, you know, the, the one thing when you have options, you can kind of interchange a lot of guys depending on uh, the series and, but, you know, if those 13 guys are pitching uh, to their capabilities, those are the 13 guys you want. You start with 13 as, as a coach. I want to stay with that 13 uh, because that's my job to keep these guys in the big leagues. And then, my, you know, I want the guys in AAA pushing the guys in the big leagues. But from my understanding, uh, it's uh, 26 man, but you can only keep 13. 
Because the one guy I really think about is Chris Bassett. He is out of options, and I think he's a special arm. He's one of these guys that Tommy John wasn't, you know, he had a little bit of a hard time coming back from Tommy John, but now that he's back and for the first time last year felt like himself again, pitched some pitched some great innings for you, won games as a starter, and then was unselfish and went to the bullpen. It's like he got like almost a six-man rotation. How do you envision Chris Bassett for the A's? I don't want to lose him. How do you envision him for 2020? Well, like like you said early early in the, uh, in, in your talk there, Bassett to me uh, turned the corner when he bought into the team. Uh, you know, I know he had some struggling times coming off of Tommy John and starting and relieving, was he going to be a starter or whether he was going to be a reliever? And I, to this day, I still like preaching to the guys, go out and be man enough to pitch when you have the baseball. If, if we throw an opener and you're coming in behind him, hey, you got to deal with it. you got to go out and pitch. If you're the opener, you got to go out and pitch. All I want you to do each and every day is tell me, can you pitch, yes or no? And that's it. And then my job is to determine, uh, you know, how many pitches I think you should throw uh, based on your previous outings and all that stuff. But when Chris Bassett decided, hey, you know what? And he's even told me, and he's even, we talk about it all the time, just pitch me whenever you want. I'm ready to go. And that's the attitude that, that you know, I'd love for our pitchers to have. Just give me the rock when you want me to have the rock. I'm going to go out there and compete. And when Bassett did that, but he found himself in the rotation because we needed him in that rotation. And he did go out and have a heck of a year. So I think the important thing uh, that I love about Chris Bassett is he's, he's the swing role. You know, he's a guy that I feel comfortable personally, me, you know, giving the ball at any point in the game, you know, early, late, middle, close. If he had to, if, if Liam comes in and has a couple of days where he's gone a couple of days in a row and he can't close, you got Bassett, you know, you got Bassett maybe stretching the middle of the game, depending on what we're going to do with Puck and Lazardo's innings. You know, they didn't have as many innings as we'd hoped for last year. So you kind of got to monitor him a little bit this year. Can he go long? Can he go short? I think Chris Bassett can do that, and that's what he's going to bring to the table this year. By the way, I love that mentality. I just love the mentality of, listen, we don't need to have roles. Not everybody has to have a role. We need to get 27 outs every single day. Whenever you get the ball, just go out and get me out. <laughs> I love that mentality. I mean, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, this is what we did. You know, well, I, I hear this. Well, he's never done that before. And I'm like, he, this is how we grew up playing baseball. If you were ever a high school baseball player and you started a high school baseball game in a tournament, two days later or maybe even the next day, hey, I threw 117 pitches one night and pitched the next night in the semifinals of the state championships because I, you know, we won the game the night before and we were losing the next day. I went to the coach and said, Hey, I, I can go. Now he, he only let me finish up the inning and get us out of that jam. But this is what, you know, we did growing up. We, we showed up at, at our travel ball games or our travel ball tournaments and the, hey, you guys ready to pitch? Yep. Okay. You're starting. Hey, you be ready. Hey, you might start game two, depending on how game one goes. And I think eventually uh, in, 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 in baseball, you may see some of that coming to where, hey, we're just going to all build up to as many pitches as possible. Now, some guys can't build up the 50, 60 pitches because they just physically can't take it. That's, I think we talked about that before. That's why guys are relievers. 
you know, why don't we start such and such? Well, some people don't know that he starts fatiguing, his arm starts hurting after 45 pitches. But if we build everybody up to their max distance of pitches, you may see uh, so many different combinations because, you know, sometimes the mentality is, you know, win today and worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. And then when we get to tomorrow, we'll worry about it. Yeah, uh, earlier this year, being with the Raiders down in Los Angeles, taking on the Chargers, Daryl Worley, who's a career cornerback, at one point all the safeties were hurt for the Raiders. So Paul Gunther said, you need to play safety. So here was a guy who was a career corner playing safety. I mean, you got to do what you got to do to win games. I mean, for God's sakes, Magic Johnson at one point played center in the NBA Finals. Why? Well, because they needed him to play center. So, I mean, it's like I, I really do like that mentality. I want to get into today, there was an interesting article. I know you, you got to glance at it from our, our buddy Eno Saris from The Athletic talking about how there's certain college baseball teams, and people have to realize there, there's certain conferences like the SEC and the ACC and certain schools, they're just cash rich from football and basketball and all the donors and their networks and all of that. And some of these schools have been able to beef up their technology. And I know one you're going to go look at, and I find it very interesting, the relationship, Wake Forest Baseball, and the relationship they have with their actual hospital on campus and all the pre-med students that are working with the baseball players and taking all the data that they're getting from the Rapsodos and all these different technologies and working with these players and trying to keep them healthy. I know soon you're going to go up there and check this out. Yeah, you know, uh, our, our uh, area scout here in North Carolina, Neil Avent, went to school at Wake Forest, and um, he's setting up a day for us to go up there probably next week or the week after. I wanted to go during All-Star break when I was home. I'm about 70 miles from Wake, but uh, he's going to set something up, and, and we're going to go uh, look at the lab. You, you know, though, uh, uh, Townie, that these labs aren't new, but the technology is new you know asmi american sports medical institute with um uh james and dr andrews who does all the, a lot of the tommy johns and and glenn dr glenn fleisick down in birmingham alabama they had a great pitching lab for the last 20 years and former A's pitching coach rick peterson was involved in that and i've been able to uh speak at, at a couple of the asmi conventions but you know it, it the technology has definitely changed because you know I've used Sony cameras in plenty different angles and used a software called Dartfish to create my own little pitching lab. But at Wake Forest and these college programs, I mean, they're getting so in-depth, they can monitor body movements with the cameras and turn the body movements into stick figures. And, I mean, it's just getting really high-tech that um, it's from a, uh, you know, a health uh, based issue. I won't say performance because the performance still always has to happen on the field. I, you know, there's a lot of people saying technology will change performance. Well, technology just gives us the feedback to what's going on. The player actually has to change himself to have better performance. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because Al Leiter the other day, talking about this article by Eno, they're breaking it down on MLB Network, and Al Leiter's son is a freshman at Vanderbilt, and they're one of the, the 
the top technology schools out there for college baseball, and they have their lab, and everybody knows how good Vanderbilt baseball is. And 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 he was talking about his son and and all the technology and learning everything. And and Al Liger says, you know what? I don't care what your spin rate is. At some point, uh, the only thing that matters is if you get outs. You can have the greatest. You can have the greatest numbers you want. You can have all the data you want. Do you get people out as a pitcher? Well, you, you know, I'm glad you said that because, you know, I, I, I kind of put it at a, uh, as a pyramid, you know, and at the top of the pyramid is outs. You know, the number one thing that pitchers have to do is get outs. If you don't get outs, you're not going to be pitching. And that's, that's at most levels of all of baseball. Now, in the minor leagues, it's a little bit different because we're trying to uh, get a good arm maybe to throw strikes, to go to the big leagues. But if you go to college and you're, you can't throw strikes, then you're not going to be pitching. And, um, you know, I think sometimes a, a lot of people are taking this technology and they're putting the, uh, for lack of a better term, the cart ahead of the horse. You know, the horse carries the cart and buggy. And uh, it, without the horse, uh, that cart and buggy doesn't work. So, you know, I went to a travel league baseball game. I was telling this story uh, to somebody else a couple of weeks ago. I went to a travel league baseball game. And the kid came up to me afterwards and says, how's my spin rate? And this is a true story. And I said, I don't know. The ball was off the backstop. Uh, so, I mean, you, you, you do have to have – now, look, technology, I love it. And everybody knows that I love it. It's not the technology. It's being able to take the technology and formulate the opinion and formulate the game plan and understand the technology. Look. The guy could have the greatest spin rate curveball at 3,200 RPMs, but when he needs to throw it for a strike, he bounces it or he hangs it. For me, that's not a good breaking ball. You know, our eyes will tell us what's a good breaking ball, but the technology will tell us, hey, this guy has the makings of a good pitch. Now we just got to get it better. What do we do with that? We got to get him to throw strikes with it. We got to get him to be in the zone, out of the zone. Because if you look at the best pitchers in the big leagues, they actually don't throw the ball inside the strike zone. They throw the ball outside the strike zone, and they get hitters chasing the ball outside the strike zone. But they do have the ability to throw the ball inside the strike zone when they have to. And uh, if you're getting a lot of these kids who can't throw the ball inside the strike zone when they have to to live on the on uh, on pitches outside the strike zone. They're just going to be walking guys. I mean, that's what the best in the world do is they get you thinking it's a strike and it's a ball, but when they need a strike, they throw a strike. You know, I think about this technology, and, of course, back when I was playing in college baseball at San Jose State, we had none of this. The thing that I would have liked about this is that, you know, as a pitcher, you you, you can only throw so much. What I would have liked about it is – the feedback, the instant feedback for a pitch, and you would know this grip, this feel, this is right, and you wouldn't probably have to throw so many pitches off a mound. Am I kind of right on that from the standpoint of this technology shows you this is my best breaking ball, now I know. I don't have to throw it a bazillion times to figure it out. Okay, you're right. So let's get into that a little bit. What we got is uh, we have tools now that we can measure the spin rate of the baseball that can measure the height release of the baseball, the spin direction or spin axis of the baseball, uh, horizontal release, vertical release, anything you want to know uh, really about this baseball. We do have 
a a tool. There's what's called Rap Sotos out there, Trackmans out there, uh, Flight Scopes out there. Uh, Major League Baseball is now moving into. I believe they're using Statcast. I think last year we used um, Trackman. Now we're using Statcast along with Hawkeye. So. These measurements, though, are a little bit different depending on the system that you're using. So what we do is we throw a pitch, we look at all the spins, uh, the spin rate, the spin axis, which is the direction of the ball uh, coming out of the hand, the horizontal movement, the vertical movement, and we have a slow-mo camera that we're we're, uh, watching the position of the hand. So then after that, it just starts to become trial and error. Okay, so we saw here's where your fingers were when you released the baseball on this pitch. This is the attributes, I'll call them, that you created uh, with this baseball. Okay, the attribute of break, uh, vertical break up and down was not good. The horizontal break was not good. Let's try to move your fingers or your thumb or, or do something a little bit different, and let's see what happens. Boom. They throw the next pitch, and we look at the data and the uh, vertical break. We've got a little bit more drop to it. We've got a little bit more horizontal movement, left to right or right to left. Then we might say, bingo, there it is. Uh, can we repeat that? Now, that's the most important part, too, because you can, and, and we call this pitch design. You can go in and you can pitch design a guy, but if he can't constantly repeat and repeat and repeat, then you're just losing certain things but you know these technologies have a lot of feedback to us and that like i said that's what it is it's feedback but that doesn't tell us uh whether we're going to be good or not or whether we can get outs or not it just tells us this is where our range of pitches are when did you become an engineer well you know you know i just always wanted want to be ahead of uh, the, not ahead of the curve, but understand what is going on in this game and make sure I'm doing my studies ahead and just keep on getting ahead of everybody. And maybe I'm not ahead, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep reading. I keep doing my homework every day um, and, and making sure that, you know, I know what's going on in this game and I know what people are teaching. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people are are so consumed about spin rate and not outs anymore. It's it's almost like we're 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 on a golf course and hey, what do you do for a living? I'm I'm a professional golfer and and I'd say no, you're not. You're you're on the long driving tour. You know, you just want you just want to hit it as far as you can. You know, so I mean, and and the analytics uh, and the people who are trying to get into this game. Uh, can use the analytics, but they have to use common sense too, that we are not long drive hitters. We're not linebackers. We're, we're major league pitchers. So we have a lot to incorporate. Like I said, I, I love this stuff. I love the analytics. Uh, I, I love the technology, but it, it's applying the technology and getting these guys to be better. Too much information to some guys is, is, is not good. Um, you know, some guys go out there and they can they can get outs and, and they know what they're doing. And then all of a sudden, what am I going to do? Come in and, and start changing the verbiage. You know, um, we used to have what's called numbers. Now we have analytics. Uh, we used to pitch to um, soft contact. Now we have to uh, uh, pitch to low exit velo. We used to have uh, 
direction and finish. Now you have to call it extension rate. Uh, we used to say that guys had good stuff, and now now these guys want you to say he's got a good skill set. So uh, for me, a lot of this is just changing the verbiage. Uh, the numbers or the analytics, whatever you want to say, have always been here. Um, uh, you know, you say you, you, you guys didn't have some technologies in, in college. I bet your, your coaches had eyes that could see some spin, and they, they formulated a game plan. So they use their brain as the technology per se. But now we can quantify all this stuff even deeper. I mean, we got the Magnus force, which is the, the pressure that keeps the, pushes the ball in the air when you spin it or when you throw a top spin ball, a curveball, that pushes the ball down. You know, I mean, there's so many different verbiages. There's so many different words out here with all this new technology. But what, what, I, what I always and will continue to remember is what doctors do for a living is they practice medicine. What science is to me is it's evolving and always constantly changing. So you can't go from point A to Z in, in one day. You know, you got to go from A, B, C, D. You got to you got to have the structure and the guidelines to get to a certain point. If I'm A to Z on all this stuff, you got to have trial and error, and that's what I've been doing for 15 years. I mean, I think I told you last time uh, I put a I put a heavy ball in the swimming pool in 1984 and I played catch with it. I mean, weighted balls have been around forever. You know, and something that's been brought up and I'm not sure if I agree with it. I know they do it a lot in college, but calling pitches from the dugout, like every pitch, there's been rumors that that could be coming all the way to the major league level. Do you like that idea that you would be sitting there calling every pitch, or do you still want that to be the relationship between the pitcher and the catcher? Well, I think I think there's yeah you know this is professional baseball. Guys should be calling the catchers should be calling the pitches. The pitchers should be shaking off to what they do. Now we do have a wristband. We do have a game plan going into the game of what each guy should be doing to each hitter and. Uh, and they, and they're pitching accordingly to the game plan. But, uh, you, you know, for me to sit on the bench and call pitches, you know, if you did that, the pitchers still have to have the ability to shake off the catcher. The catcher should still see what the, the, the hitter does, whether he's moving around in the batter's box. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to call in a game. Uh, you know, pitchers might, tell you in between innings, hey, I don't have this pitch today. I don't feel good about it. I don't even want to throw it, you know, so, but he might throw one in warm-ups and say, you know what, I got it. I mean, so, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to keep it traditional, but I think the wristband that we use and the game planning can help uh, help the catchers and the pitchers in that process. What do you got going for the weekend? Well, like I said, I'm going to go up and uh, and do that camp to, and work with some kids. Uh, I'm going to see, uh, hopefully, uh, a Jamie Schultz, a uh, pitcher we signed to a minor league contract. I'm going to hopefully run into our good guy, Mr. Chris Bassett, going to come up. Uh, he's I'm two hours from Raleigh on one side. He's about two hours from Raleigh on the other side. So hopefully I get to see him uh, one of these next couple of days and then, uh, next week, I'll see Daniel Gossett uh, in Charlotte, and then I'll run into uh, Grant Holmes down in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So, you know, I, I'm going to keep myself busy trying to see some of our guys that live in the area. 
Emo, you are the best. We will talk soon, my friend. Be well. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate it. I'm telling you, someday Emo, he's going to get into radio. He loves radio. So the minute he doesn't want to coach anymore, I guarantee he's going to have a job at a radio station, hopefully, hopefully, with us, the Oakland Athletics. We want to thank the Hall of Famer, Dennis Eckersley, from ESPN, Buster Olney, and also Scott Emerson, pitching coach of your Oakland Athletics. Thank you for listening to A's Unfiltered, brought to you by A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.